scripture and turn with me to the gospel according to John chapter 13. Anybody here read as a child the busy town? Yeah, everybody almost? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Some people are still reading it. It's wonderful. I still do too. With that little character, lowly worm, right? And you'd open up and, and you'd find him on the different pages, uh, uh, you know, maybe riding a, a, a scooter in the background or, or in a window. Uh, taking a bath, you know, it was very hard to find lowly the worm. I was always captivated by that character. A worm. I always thought, you know, Richard Scarry was kind of brilliant and yet surprising and, and making his main character a worm and then calling him lowly. Lowly worm. Most main characters are strong and dominant with, with names like Hercules, you know. But he chose lowly worm. Always a bit surprising to me when I thought of it. And I think that, that word, surprising... Is, is really a good lead-in for what we are about to read in John's Gospel about the upper room and Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That was surprising. Some other words that, that could be used are shocking, startling, unexpected, astonishing, even disquieting. I think we'll see that. As we read our scripture together today, look with me at verse 1 in chapter 13. The word of God says, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from the Father and was returning to the Father. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you 
for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You see, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. As far as John's gospel is concerned, this is an intimate gathering in the upper room. An intimate gathering in the upper room. As a matter of fact, John spends far more time than any other gospel writer talking about this time period in the upper room. He spends five chapters, the next five chapters, dealing with what went on in the upper room. The great preacher Alexander McLaren said of these five chapters, nowhere else have we, uh, have we the heart of God so unveiled to us. On no other page, even in the Bible, have so many eyes glistened with tears, looked and had tears dried. The immortal words of which Christ spoke in that upper chamber are the highest self-revelation of speech. Nowhere else is his speech at once so simple and yet so deep. So simple and so deep. That describes the scene for us today, doesn't it? So simple, and yet there's something below the surface going on here. That's why he says in verse 7, you don't realize what I've done for you. You don't fully understand what's going on here. There's a deeper meaning, a deeper layer. On the surface, the meaning is plain, and that is humbly serve. Humbly serve. That's the plain meaning. That's the simple meaning of what we just read. Humbly serve. That's the example that Jesus is setting for us, to humbly serve. He gets up from the dinner, and he strips down. Many commentators say he stripped down to his loincloth, looking like a slave. And then he wraps a towel around him. And he goes to each disciple. And you have to remember that in, in 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, there was the table and then people sat on cushions with their feet extending away from the table. They usually let, leaned on their left arm and ate with their right. So Jesus got up and he stripped down to his loincloth and he put a towel around himself and he filled a water basin with water and he walked around the outside where all the dirty feet were and he started washing their feet. Now you have to understand that this is a shocking, shocking thing that he is doing. Most people think that there was dead quiet and from all the accounts we have, that's what it was. It was dead quiet. Can you imagine that room with, with 
the, only the sounds of water dripping back into the basin and, and Jesus' breath as he moves from disciple to disciple. Nobody's saying anything. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. They, they were shocked. This did not happen. This was a menial and degrading task for a rabbi to do. I was trying to imagine a situation that would maybe give us some insight in this and picture that you've invited some people over to dinner and one of your guests excused themselves and has gone from the table a little longer than you thought was appropriate and you kind of go looking for this person and you find them cleaning your toilet. You find them cleaning your toilet. I mean, here's a person you've invited over and here they are doing the task that I would imagine in this room, nobody's saying, please let me clean the toilet. A menial, lowly, degrading task. And I think that your reaction would be similar to Peter's, wouldn't it? <gasps> oh, please put that down. I'll do that. Because you're, you're kind of saving the, I don't know, reputation of that person by doing that. If that was what was going on here, there was an, it was an extremely awkward situation. Their miracle-working, highly respected rabbi who they've been with for over three years is doing something not fitting for his stature. The, uh, the late Howard Hendricks, the Dallas Theological Seminary scholar, once wrote about this time that he was in Washington, D.C., and he was um, asked to speak at a father-son breakfast. And there were a mix of people in the audience, you know, everywhere from blue collar to military to, you know, uh, the government officials. And after he was finished speaking, as the meeting was breaking up, he looked over to his right, he says, and he saw the 30-year, highly respected senator, Mark Hatfield, stacking chairs. And then he went around the room picking up the used napkins that were on the floor. And it just struck him. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's serving in a manner that seems unfitting for who he is. Menial, lowly manner. And look at what he tells them in verse 15. He says, okay, I've done this. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. This is the example. The plain surface meaning of what Jesus is doing here is to humbly serve each other. Now, I'm making a point of that because I think that this passage, and as a matter of fact, the context of the next five chapters is really about the body, the family of God. Of course we're supposed to humbly serve the world and love them in that way. And that's true and right and biblical and fitting. But this is talking about each other. Jesus says, this is an example that you are to do as a body. In this room, serve each other like this. Wash each other's toilet bowls. If I can put it so graphically. 
These words are pointed at our hearts here. So the bar that Jesus sets for our interaction with each other is humble, menial, lowly service to each other. And that's hard. As I was thinking about that this week, it's hard to serve like that, isn't it? It's hard to serve below a level that you're comfortable serving. See, the, the bar, the high bar that God sets is as hard to achieve as the low bar. I was looking at, uh, I looked up the record for high jump this week, and it is eight feet and a half inch. Somebody can actually jump over, and I measured it, and it's the top of that flagpole right here. Somebody can run and then jump over without any aid, eight feet and a half inch. And that's hard to do. And, and the, the law is like that. I've preached on that many times before. That's kind of like the law. Okay, you want to do it yourself? Jump over that. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's hard. <laughs> and we can't do that. But the low bar is just as hard. I have here Mark Wolfolk's coffee. <laughs> It's a large copy. The record for getting under the lowest bar in the world is eight inches. Limbo. Think of limbo. You know, going under. That's this. A person can get under this. That's as hard as jumping as high as that flag. Would you agree with me? I mean, if I said, okay, you're in charge of getting under that without touching the ground. You'd say, that's impossible. Well, that's impossible too. You see, Jesus sets the bar high and low. And getting over the high of the law, that's kind of what he does in the Sermon of the Mount, right? He kind of gives us, he says, okay, you think that you can do this thing. You think you can be good enough to get into my heaven. Let me just let you know what it means. It doesn't just mean don't stab somebody in the heart. It means don't slander them ever with your mouth, with your best friend, or in your mind. Okay, you men who think that you're upright and, and you know, you're, you're not messing around with any girls, that, and that's probably true physically, but what about in your mind? Are you lusting? Because that's what God meant by that. He meant exterior and interior. And that's a really high bar, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I, can't, I can hardly control my thought as I'm preaching to you. It says that's a high bar, but God here, Jesus here, is setting a low bar. And that's equally as hard, guys. He's saying humbly serve. Do the menial things. Go lower than you're comfortable with. Serve each other. And here's the example. I'm going to shock you. I, teacher and Lord, rabbi and God, I'm going to wash your feet. And that's the example. 
Humbly serve each other. Do the things you think you are above. How about putting it that way? Do the things you think you're above. Philippians 3, 2 says, consider other better than yourself. I think that's what God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to tell us. Our, our memory verse in Romans chapter 12. Honor one another above yourselves. I think that's what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to give us an understanding of this. But we don't like that low position. <laughs> I mean, we're only, we'll only go down so far. And then it's beneath us. That's not the position that our flesh likes to seek. As a matter of fact, if you read Luke's, uh, in Luke 22, when he is talking about the upper room, he doesn't talk about the foot washing. You know what's going on. We don't know the chronology here either. Probably before the foot washing. I can't imagine it happening afterward, but we don't know the chronology. Do you remember what breaks out in the upper room? The, the disciples start arguing over who is greatest. You remember that? And I think, I think what that sets up is what he does here. He says, you, you, that's not what we're seeking here. You know, the way up is really down. The greatest is going to be the least. The leader is going to be the servant of all. Jesus is saying through his actions, this is God's way. Humble, lowly service to each other. Leon Morris, commenting on this, says this, to accept God's way is often to do the things that we would rather not do. And we are adept at finding reasons to do better things of which we approve. Isn't that true? That kind of hit me right in the heart. Morris, I think, puts his finger on it. The low bar is as hard for us to attain as the high bar, but for different reasons. The high bar, we cannot possibly jump over. But the low bar, we don't even want to attempt. Taming our coarse joking, bad-mouthing, gossiping tongue is a hard high bar. But so is giving up one night of your rest to go over and sleep at a member's house who is alone and ill. Isn't that a hard low bar? I mean, think of one yourself that you go, oh, I, I just don't want to do that. The challenge that Morris and this text puts before us is humble, menial, lowly service to each other is God's way. And we're so adept at finding other, more acceptable ways. I think that's what Peter's action shows us here in verses 6 through 10. On the surface, we read this and we go, oh, Peter is so noble. I mean, he's amazing. If only I was like Peter. You know, he's, he's saving this great rabbi's reputation. You know, he says, you're not going to wash my feet. You're too great a person, is what he's saying. 
You're a respectful rabbi. You're a leader. You're the son of God. I, I just proclaimed that a couple weeks ago. This is too lowly a task. And then, but Jesus challenges him, doesn't he? He says, unless I wash your feet, Peter, you, you, you don't have a place in me. You're not, you're not part of the family. So Peter goes, swings to the other side. You know, so he's like a pendulum. Never going to wash my feet. That's why I stress that. The Greek is very emphatic there. Never, ever, ever are you going to wash my feet. And he swings to the other side. Another noble. Oh, oh, I need to be washed. Wash all of me. That's what he means. Head, hands, and feet. Wash all of me. Do, do more. And did you notice in, chapter, in verse 10, Jesus chides him again. He doesn't say, oh, that's a noble, Peter. He chides him again. He says, listen, a person who's had a bath only needs to wash his feet. Peter, easy. A person he doesn't need all that. Now, on the one hand, we do see Peter, and this is a, a, a noble thing to do. But I think, on the other hand, we have to notice that Jesus corrects him both times. You see, Peter's knee-jerk reaction to utter humility is pride. Not pride for himself, pride at saving Jesus' character. No, not you. Saving Jesus' reputation. What Jesus is saying here is no servant is above his master. This is what I'm doing. If I do this, there's no way around that you have to do this. No servant is above the master. No messenger above the, the person who sent. If Jesus serves, so must you and I. If Jesus does the menial, lowly things, so must you and I. Now, here's the question that I came to in my studies, and maybe you're there already, maybe you're way ahead of me, is, okay, great, Blake, great. This is really hard to get below the lowest bar. How do you do that? How do you do that? Not just once. Not just a singular event where then you can go, I did it. I slept over at the house. I'd never have to do that again. But do it for the course of a lifetime. Do what our dear brother and sister, the Freemans, are doing. Dropping their life, moving to Alabama to care for his ailing mother. Serving every day, all day, 24-7, until question mark. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do we live that kind of a life over a lifetime? And where do you get that power? Where do you get that passion? I think the answer is what Jesus is saying here. It's below the surface. And that below the surface is the gospel. That's how, that's where the power comes from. That's where the passion comes from. That's where the endurance to do this kind of of low bar living comes from. That's the fuel that enables us to humbly serve one another. That's the only fuel. 
If you're anything like me, you're questioning how we get this power to low-bar live. And the answer is in order to serve in a humble and menial and lowly manner over the course of a lifetime, we have to gaze at Golgotha. We have to meditate on the cross. We have to ponder and realize that what Jesus did for us And that gives us the ability to do what he calls us to do. Because that's the, the whole, the hard truth is that without the gospel, we can't do this. I'm going to pause here so you can think about that. Without the gospel, we can't do this. Let me explain. You try and live a humble Life. You try and live a humble, serving life. You try and do these low-bar things with people. And you try and do this in your own power. And I think there are three fruit that come out of that. First thing that happens, maybe, maybe not the first thing, but one of the things that happens, and you'll all kind of relate to this on some level, is you get burnt out. Everybody know that word? Everybody familiar with that word? Everybody going, yeah, I've been there. Now, I want us to be thinking about ministry, not work, although that's ministry. Let's think about, again, the family of God. You will get burnt out. My mentor says you have to watch out for HALT. And that's the acronym for things that are are, uh, indicators of burnout. When you hurt, angry, lonely, tired. Hurt, angry, lonely, tired. Do you get hurt easily? Is anger bubbling just under the surface when you're doing these things? Do you feel really kind of called out from the people of God and lonely? That you're the only one serving? Do Do you say that in your mind? Or you get tired? You're just tired, emotionally, physically. So if you try and serve under your own power eventually you'll get burnt out. So what many people keep doing is they keep serving, right? They keep humbly, low-bar living, serving. And they're burnt out, but they find an alternative fuel. You know, that's the big thing now, right? Alternative fuel. I'll tell you, we look for alternative fuels in our spiritual life too. And one of those alternative fuels is bitterness, Bitterness, serving, serving, doing the things that others don't want to do, and you start to become angry, resentful, ah, at doing any of this. This is a powerful fuel, but it's also a very damaging fuel. And the other fuel we go to, not just bitterness, but we also go to martyrdom. This is another really powerful fuel. Oh, the poor me. Oh, look at me. Oh, look what I'm doing. Don't you feel sorry for me type of service. When you serve, what fuel you're looking for is people going, ah. Christ doesn't want any of this for us. He wants us to realize the true fuel is what 1 Peter 4.11 says. If anyone serves, they should do so in the strength that God provides. 
Okay, what is the strength that God provides? You know, he, he describes it again a couple chapters later in chapter 15 of John when, when he says that, when Jesus is talking to them, he says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's another way. Okay, tap into me. What does that mean? He wants us to understand what Peter here in the upper room did not. That the gospel fuels humble service. The gospel gives us the ability to live this low bar life. And what Christ is doing here is giving us a visual gospel in the upper room. He's giving us a visual example of what he said in Matthew 20, 28, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And what the disciples around the table in the upper room did not understand at the time was that Jesus was performing a visual example of the cross. I love what Kent Hughes wrote, and I think it's extremely insightful. He says this, Jesus rises from the supper just, at the, as the in, just as in the incarnation he rose from his place of perfect fellowship with God the Father. He lay aside his garments just as he temporarily set aside his glorious existence. He takes the towel just as he took up for himself the form of a servant. He wraps the towel around himself for he came to serve. He pours water into a basin just as he was about to pour out his blood in order that he will wash away human sin. And he washes the disciples' feet just as he cleanses his children's sin. People, that's the gospel. What he's doing is giving them a visual gospel. That's what he wanted them to understand. Only as you and I reflect on the gospel as we're going through life, only as we keep the gospel in the forefront of our mind, what Jesus did for us, do we have the power to live humbly, lowly, servant mentality. Now, I want to tell you honestly, I'm your pastor, but i got to tell you, I'm a fellow traveler with you guys. And as I was looking at this and, and, and struggling through this this week, I'm saying, Lord... How do I do that? Yes, this is a great truth, but how does that live? How how does the gospel actually make me do that? Help me to do that. Do the things that I don't want to do. Because there are things that I don't want to do, guys. Just as there are things that you don't want to do, I'm sure. That you go, oh, I hope they don't call me. I'm actually the person they call. How do you do that? How do you live like that? And I just want to press into this a moment longer with you. We talk a lot around here about applying the gospel to our lives. That's kind of the language that we're developing around here. Apply the gospel to your life. Apply the gospel to that situation. How do we do that? So how do we apply the gospel to living a low-bar life? living a life of humble service without getting burnt out, without getting bitter, and without creating this huge martyrdom complex around ourselves. In other words, how do we serve in the strength of God and not our own strength? 
Because it's the same with high bar living and low bar. And Jesus places a high bar in your life of the, of the law. The principle, the gospel principle is the same as doing the humble menial things. Here's, I think, the key. And it's only a beginning. When you're confronted with doing something that is maybe you think below you or you don't want to do, you don't want to serve in that humble way, I think one of the most powerful things you can do is actually tell God, I can't. I don't want to. I'm too weak for that. In other words, you want to start with dependence on God, not dependence on your own. Same for high bar. When you feel that temptation, whatever it is, you have to stop and apply the gospel and say, Lord, I can't stop. I can't do it. This is what Augustine said. This is what J.I. Packer wrote about in one of his books. This is what John Piper blogs about. As a matter of fact, John Piper came up with an acronym that might be helpful. I'm not a five-step type of preacher, but I think this might be helpful for us. He says, when you're confronted with doing something that you don't want to do, a menial serving situation, he says, admit, pray, trust, act, thank. Five steps. Admit, pray, trust, act, thank. Admit that you don't want to do it. Admit that you're too weak to do it. Admit your weakness. Pray for God's help. Trust in the promises of God that he will give you the First Peter 4.11 type of strength. Act, do it. And thank God in advance for his help. But I want to draw our attention to what all three of those great theologians start with, and that is weakness. It starts with saying, I can't really do this. I can't get under that bar. It starts with inability, weakness, and dependence. That's the power of the gospel in a person's life. You want power, gospel power in your life, you have to start with weakness. I'll end with what a Thomas Akempis wrote, which I think is, we all need to hear this. He wrote, take delight in being unknown and unregarded. A true understanding and humble estimate of oneself is the highest and most valuable of all lessons to take no account of oneself, but always to think well and highly of others is the highest wisdom. We are all frail, but consider none more frail than yourself. I think that's what Jesus was giving them an example of. Right here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word And I pray that you will, Spirit, through your power, get through to us and help us to see that humble, menial, lowly service is what we're called to.
In Jesus' name, amen.